Well, it's good to be with you. Open your Bibles up, Revelation chapter 1. I never really did go over our uh, CD table ministry back there this week. And I wanted to kind of briefly, if I could, briefly mention that. Uh, from the beginning, we, uh, when we began this, it, it really was not a money maker. You with me? It was not a money maker. And so uh, we didn't want to present it as such. So uh, everything on our table, the prices on there, are suggested donations for the cost of the uh, paying for the cost of the material and those who prepared it. So if you're interested uh, in uh, those studies, we want to offer that to you tonight. We're going to be doing the uh, uh, looking at a Revelation <clears throat> chapter one, verse sixteen, and it's the last part of verse sixteen. So it's verse sixteen C. We have three studies in verse sixteen, and uh, tonight will be the study. Uh, we have a CD of the month club. A couple of you uh, have gotten on, and that's where you can study with us throughout the year. If you like what you've been listening to, you can study with us throughout the rest of the year. And uh, if you sign up now, you'll study with me through February of 2010. And uh, this right here is March's study, uh, which would be coming in the mail to you if you signed up. So you may be interested in that. I wouldn't, but you may be. So... Um, no pressure on that. I want to look with you again out of the book of Revelation, chapter 1. And we've been just, I've been fascinated with this, uh, uh, with the book of Revelation. Of course, the emphasis is on Jesus and he is being revealed to us. There is insight given to him, uh, given of him to us. And the purpose of that is when we see Jesus, we see who we've been called to be. Uh, I'm consistently, I'm consistently running into folk who have an have an understanding or a definition of Christianity that doesn't look like Jesus. I'm consistently running into that into the church uh, in multiple denominations. Uh, people come up with a definition of Christianity which consists of practices, which consists of beliefs. See, there's this understanding that if I believe the right kind of thing and show up to church on Sunday, I'm in heaven. I'd be really interested in you proving that to me biblically. Biblically. See, what we're talking about when we're talking about Christian from a biblical perspective is what was going on inside of Jesus. Are you with me? Is what was going on inside of Jesus is now going on inside of me. What drove him drives me. What he's passionate about, I'm passionate about. The things that are on his lips are on my lips, on his mind or in my mind. And what's, what's being produced through me was what was being produced through him. That's the definition of. Uh, of a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's the definition of a Christian. So as we've been getting into the book of Revelation, um, specifically this week, we've been looking at chapter 1, which is an introductory chapter, which we're almost done with. And this chapter is given over uh, to us by John for the purpose of introducing what's going to take place in the prophecy, which has been really important. He's just not giving us information at random or historical material <coughs> Excuse me. He's giving us um, glimpses, if you will, of what's going to take place in the prophecy itself. So he takes large chunks of the prophecy and he condenses those down to statements. And that's been really important for me. Uh, so in the first chapter, you have four things that's being introduced to us. You have the prologue, verses 1 through 3. You have verses 4 and 5, which is the person section. That's our God, one God and three persons. And then you have the praise section, and the whole tone of the book of Revelation is in praise. It's 
the very back, uh, backbone of the book. That's verses 5b through 8. And then verses 9 through uh, the end of the chapter, verse 20, is the Patmos section, which is where we've currently been looking. Uh, verses 9... And 10 and 11, it's the initial part of the Patmos section. And you have John that's introducing himself to the community. uh, And he is using language that links them together. So it's really community-oriented. And it's really significant. And his character is expressed in that. Verses 10 and 11, he expresses to this community this call that he has. He has this call from Jesus to write down what he sees and send it to these seven churches. So he's communicating that to them. And it's a unique call. We looked at that Sunday. When you get into verses 12 down through verse 16, you have a lengthy description of the one who calls him. Let me explain that. (coughs) As you can see, I'm still coughing and hacking because of my bout with whatever I had, that infection. Anyway, uh, verses 12 down through verse 16. uh, In in verses 10 and 11, he receives this call. He turns around to see the one who's speaking to him. And in verses 12 through 16, he describes that one that he sees. And we looked at verses 12 and 13, and uh, we've drifted down to verse 16. And I want to stay in verse 16 again with you this evening. Verse 16 reads like this. I'm reading out of the New English Translation. It reads, He held seven stars in his right hand. And a sharp, double-edged sword extended out of his mouth. And here's the part we want to look at tonight. His face shone like the sun, shining at full strength. Read that again. Listen to this. His face shone like the sun, shining at full strength. Now, this at the end of verse 16, this statement there about his face shining, you know, like the sun at full strength, uh, is, it's, a, it's an end statement to the whole verses 12 through 16. So he's giving you all of this picture of Jesus. He's walked through. He's talked about his clothing. He's talked about his head and hair. He's talked about his eyes. He's talked about his uh, mouth and and the sword, his feet. Uh, He's talked about all these aspects of his body. And then he comes down and the concluding statement on this description is that his face shone like the sun at its full strength which is really significant because as we're, as we're getting to in the next month's study, verses 17 and 18, his response to that is overwhelming and he falls flat on his face. So I really want to walk through a little bit of this with you. Uh, his face shone like the sun and all of its brilliance. And I kind of want to walk through that piece by piece. The first thing I want to look at with you is the word in verse 16 where it says, uh, the word face as it appears in verse 16. It says, his face shone like the sun okay now this is an interesting word now one of the things you're going to find okay if you ever study the bible on a on a really deep level and i don't know if that's even the right language if you are ever interested in working with any of the original language and and that kind of thing uh, you're going to be surprised from time to time about words that are used um in english uh you have uh at times a couple different words that can be used to express the same thing, but it doesn't seem to be as common as it is in, in Greek. And maybe that's not a true statement, but what I'm getting at is in English, we have one word for love. And what's that word? Love. Just checking to see how sharp you are. Okay, so we have one word for love, and it's love. In Greek, they have five. They've got five. Five words for love. Okay? And so you have... It's a much more extensive, so you can be reading in a passage two of those. Some scholars suggest three uh, of those words for loved are used in our New Testament, okay? 
Uh, and you can look in a passage and you might not know which word that, uh, you know, would be used. For instance, one of the words, give me, you probably know some Greek words that, are, uh, that we translate love uh, that are used in the New Testament. Someone give me one. Agape love, which is covenant biblical love. Okay, it's a love of God. It's a selfless love. Agape love. Anybody know another one? Phileo, which is where we get our city. Philadelphia, which is friendship or brotherly love. And the other one? Eros. It's erotic or romantic love. It's my favorite. And so those are the three words. You could smile. It's okay. Okay. So you have the Eros, you have agape, and you have phileo. Now, hey, when you're reading a passage and it talks about love, which one's being used? You might be surprised. The book of Titus, literally the women are commanded to love their husbands. What word do you think is used for love? Nope. Some would say agape, this godly covenant love. No. It's phileo. They're supposed to love me like a, a brother. Yeah. <laughs> Keep your comments to yourself, please, if you would. <laughs> No, it's phileo. I'm teasing you. It's phileo, which is friendship love. It's neighborly love. It's, it's literally, it's, it's, it's to love your neighbor as yourself. It's putting the other one before you. They're the first neighbor in your life. Okay, that's the commandment of God. So when you get into a passage, you might, hey, it's, it's really behoove of you at times to know what words are being expressed and how those are used in the New Testament. Now, reason I'm telling you that is in verse 16, the word that we have translated as face, and I don't know how many different uh, 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 def, um, um, translations we have here, but I would, uh, I would assume, I think, most of yours, if not all of yours, translates this face. Anybody have anything different? Countenance. Countenance. Countenance better translation. Okay, better translation. We're going to talk about that in a minute. In fact, that's what we're getting at. But the word there uh, that I have translated face really doesn't mean face, okay? It's not talking about his face. So countenance is a better translation. Let me give you an example of this. First off, the word that's used here is used only three times in our New Testament. And get this, John is the only author that uses it. He's the only one who uses it. It's used twice in the Gospel of John and once here. In uh, John chapter 7, verse... 24, John 7, 24, it's translated like this. Jesus says, do not judge according to external appearance. That's our word. Do not judge according to external appearance. Okay. Now, when he says external appearance, that is, he's trying to communicate a physical understanding of this word, obviously. Don't judge by physical appearance. Hey, don't judge by the clothing that they wear. Don't judge how they smell, how tall they are, how short they are, how ugly their skin color. Don't judge by external appearances. He's, that word is using to express phys, a physical aspect of an individual. Does that make sense? <coughs> don't judge by external appearances. He uses it again with again a physical emphasis uh, down in chapter 11. Uh, verse 44. And in chapter 11, verse 44, this is how it's translated. The one who had died came out, talking about Lazarus, his feet and hands tied up with strips of cloth, 
and a cloth wrapped around his face. Okay? Again, that word is used to describe an outward physical, okay? An outward physical aspect of Lazarus, specifically his face and his head. Okay? So this word here that John uses, he uses in a, on a physical kind of a platform to describe a physical aspect of a person. That's how that word is used. And if you would go back into the Old Testament, uh, there is a, uh, the Old Testament was not written originally, obviously, in Greek. It was written in Hebrew. But about 30-some years, 32 years before Jesus was born, because of the influx of the culture and Alexander the Great and the Greeks, they had a Greek translation of the Hebrew provided. That's called the Septuagint. It's probably the Bible that the uh, disciples used and the early church used okay, uh, for the Old Testament. Um, if you would go back into that Greek Bible, the Old Testament, you would find that when it's referring to something physical, a physical outward appearance, that's how this word is used. It's used like that there. Now... The other, uh, John uses it twice in his gospel, as I said. But if you were to go down into Revelate, in our passage in Revelation, the context here, as I talked to you this week, the context here is not physical appearance. See, John is not turning. He hears this voice like a trumpet, and he turns, and verses 12 through 16 is what he describes. That, that is not a physical description. It's not a physical list. Uh, when he says that his hair was you know, white like wool. Well, he's not saying, you know, hey, he's a, you know, he's a senior adult. <laughs> okay? He's not saying that, okay? not communicating that. Well, his eyes were like blazing fire, and that's heavenly context. Uh, you know, his, uh, he's got this big sword dangling out of his mouth. He's not using, he's not talking about physical description. He's using physical pictures to communicate a spiritual reality. That's what we've been talking about. So when he uses this term, his face He's not talking about physical face, which is why those of you who have the, the, I think, better translation have it as countenance. He's talking about his spiritual countenance, and I even like the word posture. Okay? He's talking about his, his, his spiritual, that the spiritual aspect of him, his, his posture, his countenance. Now, uh, I found it interesting that when you go in the book of Revelation... This is not strange language. Uh, we did a study back in uh, the beginning of this chapter on Jesus in verse 5, Revelation 1-5. And the, um, the emphasis, and I won't go into the details of the grammar, the emphasis in that sentence was not put on his uh, name. It was put on his person. If you were to look up the subject in verse 5, the subject of the sentence is not Jesus Christ when you identify the Son of God. The subject of verse 5 is the faithful, the witness, the firstborn, and the ruler. That is the subject of the sentence. The, the, the phrase Jesus Christ is his name. And that's not the emphasis. That's not in the nominative. That's not the subject of the sentence. The subject, the actual second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, is the faithful, the witness, the firstborn, and the ruler. And we call him Jesus Christ. So the emphasis is not on his physical name. The emphasis is his person. And you would say, well, that doesn't make sense. Or what's the big importance about that? Well, the big deal about that is there are people who come to church on Sunday who know his name, but don't know his person. And you can know information about Jesus. 
and not know Jesus. We meet people all the time and say, oh, do you know Jesus? Yeah, Jesus, you know, uh, son of Joseph and Mary and uh, son of God and died on the cross. Yeah, I know Jesus. Well, you can know information about Jesus and not know Jesus. In fact, Jesus said many on the day of judgment are going to say, Lord, Lord. In fact, they're going to say stuff that they did. I healed in your name. I prophesied in your name. I preached in your name. He's going to say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. See, there's a difference between knowing information about Jesus and knowing Jesus. So there's a, there's a big emphasis in the book of Revelation on not just knowing information about Jesus or having the right background or history of Jesus. It's something about an involvement with his person. And what John is communicating to us here is his, it's, it's beyond just his physical features kind of a deal. He's saying it's his, it's his countenance. Now, what I found really interesting about this is that um, uh, John is not the only one who talks like this. I want you to turn back with me uh, to the book of Acts. And this is really significant. Paul, Paul talks about this aspect, if you will, of Jesus as well. Uh, and it's in Acts chapter 6. There's, uh, there's teachings of this on this. You have, but not only Paul, uh, Luke who's writing the book of Acts... He describes a really significant event that if you've been around church any amount of time, I'm sure you've read this event. He describes an event and a person in this event, and he's not trying, this is so neat, he's not trying to describe a physical aspect of this person. He's trying to describe his countenance. So he's trying to describe there's, a, there's, there's something just a spiritual posture of an individual that he sees and is trying to communicate. In chapter 6... Uh, you have, of course, the uh, appointment of uh, the, the, the deacons, if you will. And in the midst of that section, you have uh, Stephen that is arrested. Um, if you were to go down to verse, we'll skip some of this. Uh, Stephen begins to argue with these group of Jews. And if you go down to verse 10, uh, listen to this. Isn't this powerful? Yet they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. If you ever want to pray anything for me, pray that for me. Pray that for me when I preach. No one will be able to stand up against the wisdom or spirit of Christ by which I speak. Uh, it says, then they all secretly in, uh, uh, instigated some men to say, uh, we've heard this man speaking blasphemous words against Moses and God. Uh, they incited the people, the elders, and the experts in the law. <clears throat> then they approached Stephen, seized him, and brought him before the council. They brought him forward. Uh, excuse me, they brought forward false witnesses who said, this man does not stop saying things against the holy place and the law. Uh, for we have heard him say that Jesus, the Nazarene, will destroy this place and change the customs in, that Moses handed down to us. Here it is, verse 15. All who were sitting in the council looked intently at Stephen and saw his face. That's his countenance. Was like the face of an angel. Oh, you mean he had white wings? <laughs> what? No, we're not talking about physical. He glowed. He had really white What's an angel look like? He's not talking about physical. He's talking about that literally what was going on in Stephen, there was a spiritual posture that was, that was evident. It was just God was working in that guy. This is, what's trying, this, is what he, this is the word that he uses in verse 16. When John sees Jesus, there is, there is a nature about him. There is a spiritual countenance 
that is so strong, he's trying to communicate that. Now, uh, besides the Bible, uh, the, uh, the illustration of Stephen, I'm, I've seen this all over the place. We, um, I've been to services, teen camp. You see this oftentimes in teen camp where kids will come and we were at this uh, teen. Uh, it was a, for one church. A friend of mine from college graduated. Good night. This has probably been 10 or 11 years ago. And there was a girl there. She's a very good friend of ours. We still keep in close contact with her. And um, she came, and she was quiet, and she was just, it was really weird what was taken on. She's really backwards, and you try to talk to her, and she'd look down and kind of just wouldn't answer. And it was just, she was really, 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 it seemed like an oppressed young lady. And we had services that week, and, and um, it was like a four or five day long kind of a thing for this church, a ski retreat and a camp out kind of a thing. And um, during, the, like it's toward the end, but during that week she got saved. And when she got saved, it was much more than just she came down, said a prayer, Jesus, forgive me, I want to go to heaven kind of a thing. Her entire countenance changed. I mean, she was a different person. In fact, when she goes home, her parents were like, what did you do to my daughter? (laughs) We were like, Jesus, that's what happened to your daughter, man. I mean, have you ever seen that? When a person gets saved, it's more than just, well, they stopped smoking yeah, that was good. Praise the Lord. More than that kind of a thing. It was, their, entire, their entire spiritual posture of their life was changed. It's, it's fact that they sometimes wear the, wear the same clothing, but they, they stand different. They, they, they look different. They sing different. Am I making a dent? This is really significant. See, that's spiritual posture. Now, on the other side, I'll tell you about a, there's another kind of spiritual posture that people have. I was preaching at a church. Uh, I won't tell you where, but it was in Reno. I won't tell you what church. <laughs> Several churches in Reno. But uh, I was preaching at a church in Reno. And a uh, lady approached me. It's toward the end of the week, but she pastor didn't know who she was. She came one night, and it's got a real strange vibe from her. You know, I avoided her. And uh, my wife comes to every service normally, and so... Uh, she came one night and she waited in line to speak to me. There's a couple people talking to me and she comes up and she just was very odd and she had a spiritual, like it was a countenance about her that just, it didn't, it didn't sit right with me. She stood kind of close and, and when that happens, I always put one foot a little forward and I go back, you know. So in order to get close to you, they can literally walk up your leg kind of a thing. And then if they move, you just move like that, you know. And it kept her at a distance and she kind of picked up on that and I was like, she goes, oh, I'm sorry. And, and, she, and she, I said, can I, you know, can I help you or you want to talk about something? And she said, well, I, I've known you before. And she goes, I think it was in another life. I said, oh, really? She goes, yeah. She goes, uh, several years ago, I think I put a spell on you when I was in Wicca. I put a spell on you uh, in the spiritual realm. And I just shut her down. I was like, you need to talk to my wife. And they were right there, Corinda. And I just, I'd dump them on Corinda because she knows how to handle them. And I turned around and walked away. Because there was something not right in that lady. And it wasn't just, <clears throat> you know, mental kind of a thing. There was a spiritual deal going on in her. And it was, hey, woman, man, I don't have anything to do with that. Talk to my wife. She, she can handle them. But that's a spiritual posture that you can tell that. You got me on that? This is, this is the language that he's using. He's not talking about his face just shining. He's talking about his posture. He's talking about his spiritual, his spiritual countenance. Now, he says, Revelation chapter 1, if you're not there, 
verse 16, he says that his face, and again, the better translation is countenance, shone like the sun, shining at full strength. So literally, his countenance shined, which is really interesting language. First off, uh, the illustration that, that John chooses to use is the sun, which I thought was pretty profound. Because in their day, in our day, it's a little scientifically explained away, I think. But in their day, the sun was really significant. You understand, pagan, uh, pagan civilizations worshipped the sun. I mean, hey, it could kill you. Uh, it kept you warm. I mean, it controlled the tides. I mean, hey, the sun's really, really significant, okay? And so he uses this. I mean, you can't miss the sun. It's a big ball of fire in the sky. So what he's saying about Jesus primarily is that this countenance of Jesus, this spiritual posture of Jesus shone so intensely you could not miss it is what he was saying. That he turned and gave you this lengthy description. And when you put all that together, just literally there was something going on in him that was so strong, that was so overbearing, you could not miss it, just like you cannot miss the sun. Now, John does not use the same language that Paul uses or that other writers use. But he says, uh, the other writers say the same kind of things that John says. I want you to look at this for yourself. Turn back with me um, to uh, 2 Corinthians, if you'd be willing. <coughs> uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, in particular. Paul, and I thought this is really remarkable, Paul is communicating the same thing here, but he uses a little bit of a different word, but you're going to think this is neat. He uses a little bit of a different word. For Paul and for John, when you link the word or the, the concept of a countenance with shining, it has to, there's a spiritual dynamic that seems to be always expressed. Now with Paul, in chapter 2, it begins around verse 7. And you guys know the context of this. Uh, he's, of course, uh, talking about uh, the ministry uh, that uh, he has and in which uh, all believers has. And in um, chapter 2, verse, uh, chapter, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7, excuse me. Uh, listen to what he says. He's comparing the ministry that we have in Christ over against the ministry that was of the Old Testament. He begins in verse 7. He says, but if the ministry that produced death carved in letters on stone tablets, again referring to that the law did not seek to save us, it, seek to reveal, it sought to reveal sin in us. That's what, it, that's what it's talking about. This uh, uh, ministry that produced death, carved in letters on stone tablets, talking about the law, came with glory so that the Israelites could not keep their eyes fixed on the face of Moses. That word face is not the word that John uses, but the primary translation of that word face is not face. You know what the translation of that word is? Person. It's the word for person. So just as the emphasis in the book of Revelation is on the person of Jesus and not just the physical attributes of Jesus, he's talking about the same here. See, there was something going on in Moses, his very person, that literally freaked out. Be <laughs> the words of my generation, freaked out the Hebrews. Okay? Flipped them out. Whatever language you use. Hey, I don't, I'm not really familiar with Anadarko. But um, 
They fixed their eyes on Moses because of the glory of his face, a glory which was made ineffective. Now he goes on. He says, how much more glorious will the ministry of the Spirit be? For if there was glory in the ministry that produced condemnation, how much more does the ministry that produces righteousness excel in glory? For indeed, what has been glorious now has no glory because of the tremendously greater glory. In other words, what he's saying, what what they had in the Old Testament and what Moses, who was considered a friend of God, that relationship with God can't even be talked about in light of our relationship with God, which so so much surpasses that, is what he's saying. And then he comes down in verse uh, 12. Listen to how he says this. He says, Therefore, since we have such a hope, we, have, uh, we behave with great boldness. And not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from staring at the, res- uh, at the results of the glory that was made ineffective. But their minds were closed, for to this day the same veil remains when they hear the old covenant read. It has not been removed because only, Christ is, is it, only in Christ is it taken away. Now get, here it is. But until this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their minds. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is uh, present, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, that word is not face, it's person. See, we, with unveiled countenances, reflect the glory of the Lord are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another, which is uh, from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Okay? In other words, as you and I are growing in Jesus, literally, our persons give off this spiritual countenance that cannot be missed. Now, I think that's remarkable that Paul talks about the same thing that John talks about. He just uses a little bit different words. And by the way, at the beginning of chapter 4, Paul goes on to say, Therefore, since we have this ministry. Well, what ministry is he talking about? Literally, the ministry of having a spiritual countenance. We call that witnessing. That there is something going on inside of me that is supernatural, that God lives in me and changes the very heartbeat of my life. And that is my ministry to let that flow all over my world. Uh, See, someone comes up to me and says, why are you always so happy? Well, I'm not happy. I'm not always happy. Because the root word of happy comes back to happenings. And when my happenings are good, I'm happy. So my life is based on how things work out. As a Christian, that's not true. On the Christ, as a Christian, my life is not based on happiness. It's based on joy, which is a fruit of the... So when I'm in Jesus, there's this joy going on inside of me that I walk around living above the circumstances of my life because he's living in me. And you see me out changing my tire on the side of the road and you drive by and honk and I'm like, praise the Lord! Why? Because there's something going on inside of me that literally I rise above my circumstances. This is what he's emphasizing. And he goes on to talk about how this is presented to our world in jars of clay. What do you mean by jars of clay? Look at your pastor. I mean, he's hobbling around. It looks like he's half dead the way it is. I mean, good night. But he's walking around and we see this frail, broken body. And in that frail, broken body is Jesus spilling all over his world. 
Isn't that remarkable? So what he's talking about here is a spiritual condition. I want you to turn back with me to the book of Acts, chapter 16. I've used this illustration probably oh, over probably six or seven uh, studies over the last decade. Um, but it's the perfect, in my opinion, it's the perfect illustration of spiritual countenance. See, I just I want to ask you, see, what's, what is your spiritual countenance? See, what, it, what are you, what, what's the aroma that you're giving off? He talks about it in other places. See, we, we shed everywhere the aroma of Christ. You're either shedding the aroma of Christ or the aroma of death. Period. There's only two countenances. And again, it's hard to look at me and say, well, I go to church. I'm not talking about that. Well, I grew up in a, I won't tell you where church, I won't even tell you where it's at. But I grew up in a church where there's an older gentleman went there. He's one of the, the early, his dad, I think, built the church. and Call him a charter member, I think. He built it when he was in his, uh, even before his teen years. And he'd been there, he's in his 80s. He's no longer living now. He went to be wherever he's at. And uh, this guy's spiritual countenance was easily seen. No one could miss it. He was the grumpiest, nastiest, meanest guy I've ever met in my life. And he never missed a Sunday, was there every Sunday, Sunday, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday, every revival service, sat there in the same pew. You, could, you knew he was there because you could hear him snoring. I mean, he was there week after week after week. And this is the truth. He was so nasty that literally that in him was, he was so nasty, it was, it was, he was, that was described as a personality trait for him. Wouldn't that be so sad to be so mean that people just invent a personality trait for you for that in your life? And I remember asking my, my mom, this is a true story, when I was a little kid. I said, Mom, I said, is, is John going to go to heaven? Shouldn't have said his name. I said, is he going to go to heaven? And she says, well, yes, Jeremiah. He's been coming to church since he was 80. And then my mom, she's really an optimistic woman. She's like, he'll probably just be on the outskirts of heaven. Okay. He won't have a mansion. He'll have a double wide. That's what he'll have. Yeah, that's, that's it. That's where he's going to be. See, I struggle with that, man. Because see, he was, he was a complaining, nasty, mean individual. I mean, foul mouth. And let you, on the board, just, I mean, I hope that's not any of us. This is what he's talking about. See, literally, Jesus, you never had to even, he never had to open up his mouth. And everyone knew, just, just knew that there was something going on in that guy. You say, well, what might that look like? I've used this illustration more times than I can count because I'm just incredibly impressed with Paul. But in uh, chapter 16, uh, it's really interesting. Leading up to this chapter, Paul and Barnabas split ways uh, over this guy named Mark. And Paul doesn't want him in the group. Uh, because of some prior history. So uh, Barnabas takes uh, Mark and Paul takes Silas and the team splits. The one who was documenting all this, Luke, uh, more than likely a doctor, uh, went with Paul's team, which is why you don't hear much more of Barnabas after this. Um, and so they're, they're heading to uh, uh, verse, uh, I guess it says 16, as where we'll pick it up. They're heading to a place of prayer. 
which um, is, is probably an early church gathering. Um, early Christians still gathered in the synagogues. But after they begin to be exposed, uh, the Judea, Judea, uh, Judaizers, as John calls them, would kick them out. Okay? The Jews would kick them out. The Hebrews, Judaism people, would kick them out of the, of the synagogue. Which was much more than just, you can't come to church anymore. You're out of Jewish social life. So literally, they would have colonies of Christians uh, that begin to develop. And this is where they were going. Uh, they have this girl uh, that is being exploited by these slave owners. And they're following around, making some money off of Paul and Silas and attraction and all that. And Paul turns around in mercy and compassion. It's really easy to misconstrue this. But in, per- in mercy and compassion and relieves the girl of this spirit by which she's prophesying. And it's interesting in verse 20... Uh, no, back a few verses. Uh, in verse 19, it says, But when her owners saw their hope of profit was gone. See, they couldn't exploit this girl anymore because Paul set her free of this demonic influence in her life. Uh, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them as a very aggressive term, dragged them uh, into the marketplace before the authorities. Uh, when they brought them before the magistrates, they said, These men are throwing our city into confusion. They are Jews and are advocating customs that are not lawful for us, uh, uh, for us to accept or practice since we are Romans. So the crowd joins in the, uh, into the whole fray here. And um, the magistrates uh, order in verse 22 for Paul and Silas to be beaten with rods which is uh, another way that they described flogging. You ever seen the, the Passion of the Christ and what that, that looks like? Flogging can kill an individual. That's what they went through. It's much more than just whips. There was bone, and they began with the rods at the beginning. That's the whole thing. They went through that. It says after they'd been beaten severely, they were thrown into prison and, the, and uh, commanded the jailer to guard them uh, securely. Receiving such orders, they threw them in the inner cell. And fasten their feet in stocks. Inner cell, no possibility to escape. You get out of the inner cell, you got to get out of the outer cell. Uh, stocks, did all kinds of study on trying to find out what kind of stocks they used. Couldn't, but basically the idea of stocks, it prevented uh, you from being mobile. And more than likely, these were feet stocks. So, which was really brutal. I mean, they'd been shredded for one, and now they, their feet were put in socks, stocks, so they were, they were unable to stand up. They had to lie down. In, in that kind of a Roman prison environment, on that floor, uh, just, I mean, brutal. Um, verse 25, about midnight, Paul's right there. It's interesting, you'd say, why does he give a time reference? Well, hey, I've been overseas. Their time's about like our time. In the winter, the sun goes down uh, sooner. In the summer, it goes down later. Um, let's say this was the summer. I don't know when it was, but let's say this was the summer. I mean, still the sun's going to be gone by 9, 9.30, say 9.30. Uh, it's midnight. So you still have two and a half hours of dark. They didn't have a lampstand. This wasn't the day's end of Jerusalem. I mean, this was, this was a Roman prison. So this has been dark for two and a half hours. This is slave labor. This is a Roman prison. Um, you would think that people would be asleep, and if there was any noise, there'd be complaining. Listen to this. About midnight... Paul and Silas were complaining about their situation to God. And No, hold on, I'm sorry. That's the American translation. Let me back up a little bit. You didn't get that. Okay, anyway, verse 25. 
About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the rest of the prisoners weren't complaining, weren't saying, be quiet, trying to sleep. Other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake and the foundations of the prison were shaken, which is probably, you know, just by coincidence. Immediately all the doors flew open and the bonds of all the prisoners came loose, which is obviously probably by chance. Yeah, stuff wasn't built very well. When the jailer woke up, And saw the doors of the prison standing open. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he assumed the prisoners had escaped. But they had not. See, all the doors are open, all their chains are off. Well, what are they doing? Paul shouts loudly, do not harm yourself. We are all here. Calling for the lights, jailer rushed in, fell trembling at the feet of Paul and Silas. Then brought them out and says, sirs. Whatever you have going on in your life, I want going on in mine. See, that's posture. That's spiritual posture. It's not, see, you can't, and this so irritates me. See, I, when I was in college, I, we, we dealt with some of this stuff just about evangelism strategies. You know, how do you win Ar- Anadarko? Well, there has to be a strategy, and we have to have a plot and a plan, and what do they like to accomplish? And good night. I don't want to do all that. Well, then how in the world are you going to win your town? That. That right there. I'm going to go down to my job. Okay? I work in a pharmacy. And I'm going to go down to my job. And I'm seriously going to get wrapped up in Jesus. And I'm going to let who he is just flow over every customer that I interact with. In fact, I'm just going to love Jesus right in front of them. And I'm going to bathe them in his presence because he's going on inside of my life. And that is so strong. See, that is like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. When you walk outside, you cannot miss the sun. Everybody's always talking about it. It's a beautiful day. It's a sunny day. Oh, where's the sun? It's cloudy. And people get depressed when they don't see the sun because of the clouds. See, I want to stand in the midst of my world. And I want that to be so overbearing that people just look at me and say, what is your deal? And I respond with, Jesus, (laughs) that's my deal, man. What's wrong with you? Jesus, I go to Anadarko Church of the Nazarene. There's a bunch of people there just like me. (laughs) We all get the same thing going on inside of us. You have that going on in you? I've said this all kinds of times and in all kinds of places. My wife and I have been to churches where, Nazarene churches, where if I was not, if I was released from the road, and we moved to that town, I would not go to that Nazarene church because they're spilling out something else other than that. I wouldn't go there. The teen group, the teen group is spilling out something else other than that. See, we've been, I've been a part of working with teens where what's spilling out of them is how cool are you and see how good looking are you and how popular are you. And see, that's their spiritual. You can, you can pick that out a mile away. My wife and I, my, my wife guards me at times. We'll be at a teen camp and my wife will come up beside me and take my hand and say, stay away from her. And I'll be like, who? The one over, there's like 150 girls. I'm like, who? That one. I'm like, why? Countenance. I, I lift and I go to the gym. It's hysterical. It doesn't take long to be in the gym to see the guy where his countenance is, he's full of himself. Where he's the, he's the tough guy. Walks around with his arm. He's just like, I'm big and bad. That's countenance. I I don't want to have that, folks. 
I don't want to be the guy that walks around that everybody can tell he's a chip on his shoulder and boy, hey, don't cut me off in traffic. I'll pull over and just... See, I don't want that to be my counsel, my, my countenance. I want to be the jolly in love with Jesus guy on the bench press. That's what I want. I want my countenance to be that guy over there and what's his deal? And I don't know. And, but wow, I just... Do you see the difference? See, I don't want my countenance to be the, the lady that is always upset and in drama and, 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 and frustrated and angry about something. I don't want to live like that. That's a spiritual countenance kind of an issue. Jesus, we love you tonight and we thank you for the truth of your word. And Lord, ups and downs come and sicknesses like mine come and go. Troubles come and go, finances up and down. I mean, it's life. You said in this world we will have trouble, but you overcame the world, which means that your father moving and pumping through your very countenance just carried you through everything. I want that going on inside of me. I want you going on inside of me. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Maybe you need to respond tonight. Uh, Maybe as you sit there, you think, I would love for my countenance to be what he's talking about. I would love to have the countenance of Stephen as the crowd seized him. And I'd love to have the countenance of Paul and Silas as they were in prison. And it's, There's nothing magical about it, folks. Hey, you respond. You come down and you kneel before him with all your heart. You hold his hands and say, Jesus, do what you need to do in my life. Until that's taking place in me. What in my life is blockading that? See, what's changing that? Why am I the way that I am? I'm so tired of being nasty. I'm so tired of being the way that I've always been. I've got phenomenal news for you folks. You don't have to be that way anymore. That's the ministry of Christ Jesus. So we're just going to have a time of prayer and seeking. And hey, I I invite you. I guess I I probably should add no pressure. If you're happy the way you are, stay there. But if, you, if you're like me and you're thinking, hey, I, I, I want to be like Jesus. I want to have what was going on in him going on inside of me. I give you permission to seek tonight. Give you permission to respond. Don't wait on your friend. Just respond. Jesus, we're going to spend these next few moments just seeking you. Give you all the praise. Altars are open.